Today on our episode of Ignite Agility, I have Laura, and we're going to be talking about Scrum Master as producer. Hey, Laura. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you work, and what a producer is without bringing Scrum into it. So let's just talk about the role of producer first. Sure. So uh, I'm a senior producer at Jackbox Games here in Chicago, um, and we make party games, video games. You've probably heard of a bunch of them. They're a good thing to get a bunch of your friends in a room and uh, act like idiots with. It's great. That's what even virtually, even yes, even in this even virtual. Virtually, <laughs> yes, which has been an interesting challenge for us. But um, so as a producer, what I do is uh, make sure that we are shipping a stable, complete game ideally on time, and hopefully everyone's on the same page about what that game is. So a lot of overlap, you know, with, with a scrum master, but uh, as a producer, those are my main focuses. Make sure that we're, we're getting things out the door. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be working on. Uh, hopefully everybody's happy with what they're working on too. Uh, and we're all communicating with each other. Yeah. And now how did your organization decide to bring scrum in, or I guess I should say why scrum? Yeah, so Scrum fits with game development really, really well because there's an element of making games where you kind of have to just sit and say, is it fun? You know, which is something that I think is a unique challenge to games that doesn't necessarily always exist in other software development, right? So um, what Scrum lets us do is is kind of accept that we're not going to know everything at the start. We're not going to know that it's perfect and it's super fun and every mechanic we planned is going to work. So Scrum kind of makes sure that we're regularly inspecting what we're doing and adapting our plans, you know, and and getting feedback from people constantly, not even not just sprint intervals, literally constantly play testing things. And it, it sets us up to basically be able to pivot when we need to Um and kind of embrace the things we know at the start and get going and get us up as fast as possible, you know, but then kind of set us up for success in the long run. We work in a really, really tight timeline as well at our studio. Hmm. Um, so kind of given that and knowing that there, there's going to be some time in the middle that we probably are just like, oh, but man, is it working? Um, Scrum sort of embeds that, right? And says that, well, we're going to have to just iterate and we're going to have to just we have to adapt, work on it. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that on top of just like the values of Scrum, just making sure, especially working with a bunch of creative people, you know, everybody wants to feel like they're, I mean, everybody wants this, wants to feel like their voices are heard, that they're respected, that they can be open with their teams, you know, all of those things that make sure that we're doing that. Um, and I think that really, as far as working with a creative team, I think that I focus on that a lot more with my team than I necessarily do with uh, every single one of the events. And that's not always what it's about. You know, it's about mm -hmm. making sure that this team is like feeling good about the product we're making because we're making fun things, you know, and if we're not having fun when we're making them, that's going to show. I, I'm channeling my nine-year-old's voice in my head where he's like, you don't get my humor, mom, just because it's not funny for you. It's funny for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you probably have completely different audiences too, depending on the game or. Yeah. On. And that's been, you know, you touched on playing them virtually too. That's been a huge challenge for us. And, and we were developing party pack seven when COVID hit and we suddenly had to work remotely and it wasn't even just about working remotely. It was, Oh God, everyone's going to be playing our games remotely now, which we were party games. We were games about getting your friends in a room together and, play and now together. it's a virtual room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now we had games that were greenlit already. And suddenly we're like, can these play when you're virtual? 
what can we do to make sure that they play virtually as well as they do in the room? And sometimes, you know, we're going to have more success with that than we do with other times. But um, I think the way that we work kind of supported that really well of just knowing that we just need that constant feedback and we just need to be willing to change literally at any time. And, you know, okay, so you mentioned your title was producer prior to bringing in Scrum and why Scrum. Do you have somebody that is your product owner and where did they come from organizationally, if yes? Yeah, so our product owners for our games are our game directors. Um, oh, which okay. We look to them to say, like, are we going the right direction uh, when there's a creative decision to be made? A lot of times they're, um, not all the time, but a lot of times they're also our design leads. So they're focused on the mechanics of the game. Um, is is this working and prioritizing things. So I look a lot to my director to say like, okay, you've got to pick between these two features because this is what we have time for. What are you picking? Right. Um, you know, so I'm doing a lot of the same sort of scrum master role um, and in coaching them and knowing that like, cool, let's communicate with our team about what the next things are up. Let's get questions answered earlier so that we can go into the next sprint with a plan. So um, just facilitating. It sounds like, you know, you're yeah. facilitating pretty hardcore there. Yeah. Well, and what you said about um, game director too, that's, uh, nice because one of the things I try to impress upon people looking at the product owner role, I always say you had this person before Scrum. This person existed at your yeah. company. You called them something else. Sure. There is somebody naturally who's making these decisions about the features or the priorities and whatnot. So, so you called them game director. They're now product owner, right? It's yeah. not like you had to go find somebody to yeah. be the product owner. And that's been an interesting shift with bringing in more producers at the company as well has been um, a lot of times our directors were doing some of the responsibilities that are now on our producers, right? So you can imagine how overloaded our directors were doing things too. We had one production manager who was doing everything for all of our games in a pack. So he was totally overwhelmed. Um, so spreading that out a little bit more, let's people focus, you know, and let's game directors focus on what is the vision of this product, as opposed to also feeling like they're wildly overwhelmed trying to do all the things that producers can support them in doing too. Um, you know, but yeah, they're, they're still definitely the creative vision of the product. You know, we still try to make sure that they're, I mean, they're, we're totally embedded on a team too at our studio. And that varies a lot from studio to studio. And depending on the setup of if, um, if a developer also has a publishing studio that they're working with, you might see producers at the publisher as well that interact with the developers in a totally different way. Um, but for us, the way our teams are set up is we have an embedded director and embedded producer and then a team of developers. And our developers include artists and QA leads and audio leads and um, engineers and controller engineers. You know, So there's a much larger team, very similar to any other Scrum team that you might see where we can cover everything. So Right. We just, we say developer, but I just heard cross-functional skills yeah. needed to produce these games, yeah, which is what uh, we want yeah. on a scrum team. Yeah. And we do as much as we can. I mean, like it, it is, uh, you know, it's hard because I just threw out a bunch of titles that you ideally don't want on a team, I know. Um, but with how special my, my scrummy brain just goes as uh, cross-functional skills, those are activities. And as exactly. long as they're working together in a rugby-like approach in a sprint. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's why we focus a lot on just like the opportunities that we can to teach someone else another skill. You know, I hop in and help QA test things and pull videos and organize play tests when I need to, you know, and anybody else on our team is going to do that too. If there's something we can teach someone else to do that offloads work from our gameplay engineer, we're going to do that because it's going to make everything easier. Right. So we run very small teams. Um, we're making five games at once in one year. 
you know, so we need to do a lot of that. We need to do a lot of just work with each other and, and make each other's lives easier, you know? Right. Lots of chatter about Scrum on uh, social media right now in terms of Scrum Master role full time. And, you know, one of the snarky replies I saw was, well, firefighters are full time. They're not putting out fires the entire time. Most of their job is prevention, but you really want them time sliced across three, four other jobs. And I think it boils down to being contextual. So one of the things you can maybe help highlight for our listeners when we say size of company, because that's the other thing when people say, well, a really big company, I always say, what do you mean? really big because that could mean 5,000 people. And in my head, it could be 10,000 people. So what do you mean by really big? So um, tell us just approximately how many people, how big is your organization? Yeah, I think we're between somewhere in 60, 70, 60 to 70 right now. So less than a hundred people, less than a hundred people total. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's fair to say small company, relatively speaking. Yeah. So, okay. When you've got a smaller organization, like the one you serve. Then when you say scrum master full time, yes, you are. And it sounds like what you described, your hands are full just in serving the developers, producing the games, you know, being that conduit, the facilitator with the game director, which you call product owner. And then how about the organizational stuff then? Because you own a company that has 5,000 plus employees or you know, where you've got a scaled situation, scrum masters may get involved with a lot of organizational stuff. Would you say that that definitely is there or not to the extent that you maybe even heard about in your advanced CSM or CSM training? Yeah, it's definitely there. And it's something that I think our team specifically is talking a lot about right now based on, we have grown a lot in the last two years too. So you can see the size that we are right now still small. We were even smaller. Um, And as we have uh, brought on more producers and kind of figured out what this role needs to be, we're, we're looking more at that stuff now too. It's like, okay, and what else can we be doing for the studio to make sure that um, you know, we're doing that same kind of coaching and facilitating. And it's something that we already are doing, you know, like I'm also an embedded producer on our marketing team. Um, so I do a lot of communicating between game teams and marketing to make sure that they know what's going on. Um, and we have a producer on the QA team, a producer uh, on our infrastructure team as well. So we're doing some of that already, but there's been a lot of discussion, even in a company our size, of, of what else can we be doing to do this same level of coaching, facilitating at all levels. You know, we we end up very, again, I know I've mentioned our timeline a lot. That is like the the main thing with our company. Well, if you've so announced much. a release, that makes sense. You know right. what I mean? Because then you get egg on your face. It's like, oh, here's the date it's coming. Just kidding. Right. We're really ready. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot to do in a short period of time. But um, to me, that makes our job even more important because that means that, that we got to keep that, keep the, the, the wheels well oiled, you know, and there's a danger of when people, you know, I I think we've all seen this when people are more stressed and do have that timeline, they can get a little bit more siloed. So to make sure that we're there to know that at all levels of the organization, don't let that happen, you know, um, and, and make sure we're talking to each other. And I think we're constantly as a production team, always looking for ways to improve our process, not just our processes uh, across teams too, but like literally everything, the communication, the way that we're giving feedback, the way that we have organized our teams, um, just everything to just look for the next improvement. So I think that that's something as a studio that we're really growing with right now is what next, you know, we figured Mm -hmm. out how a producer can work with a game team pretty well now, I think, but now what, um, it's just like an important growth time, I think for our studio. 
Well, and that brings up an excellent point about continuous improvement because part of you know the scuttlebutt around Scrum Master or or time slicing a Scrum Master or relegating them to some sort of part-time capacity, I always wonder about those organizations. Like, do you not care about continuous improvement? I mean, is complacency your goal? Or you think that this person is just some sort of an administrative assistant? It's like, wow, well, if you're not interested in getting better, if you're just wanting to maintain the status quo, then I guess why bother with Scrum at all? Right. But, you know, so you really touched on an important aspect of that, of Scrum Mastery, which I'm sure... I love that you don't uh, weave in the scrummy terms, but you're hitting the essence of exactly what those things are, which gets right down to this is easier to do than to say, right? This scrum isn't something you do in addition to work. It's not like I've heard you say, well, I've got my producer hat and then I've got my scrum master hat. You know, I always tell people there's no hats. So it sounds like you're just actually employing this right? Planning in small chunks, adapting, what can we do to get better? Yeah. Anything to add to that? No, I think um, one of the other things that's interesting too with game studios, at least as far as I've seen in, in, in my experience, and again, I'll qualify again, this is totally various from studio to studio. You know, the same as you'll see a scrum implementation. Oh, for sure. Literally, wildly different from company to company too. So um we do milestone reviews too, which is basically like at these larger intervals from just sprint reviews. And that's the thing we've dug into a lot as a production team of like, well, how are we using this properly? And maybe this is how we do a better job of, of getting those reviews at a larger level and, and kind of coaching at a studio level as well too. Um, so we're, we're constantly looking at, I mean, as a production team, it's our job. We're, we're all, I think, yes, all of us are certified scrum masters. I was rattling through my head really quick, you know? <laughs> um, so we, we kind of go through those of like that, that same process of just how do we make this better? Um, and so that's the thing we've looked at a lot is like, well, this is this regular scheduled time for us to get this feedback and, are we all on the same page of what we're even trying to get there? You know, so I feel like we're constantly dissecting those things and trying to improve them the next time around. Um, and I mean, for me, you touched on that too. It's really important for me to not just throw scrum jargon at people. It doesn't sit as well. You no, know? I um, call it throwing up scrummy language on people. It's like, and then you watch their eyes kind of glaze over, like, am I supposed to know what that term means? Yeah. And so what I try to impress upon CSMs, and you mentioned your producers are, so that's awesome, um, is that you can do the translation in your own head. Like you hear, you know, blah, 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 and in your brain, oh, that's just sprint review. But yeah, it's the time that we get together to review our games with the stakeholder. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's just so much easier to to use plain words to talk about than all the scrummy words. Yeah. So um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you then about the contextual nature, because you're absolutely right. Scrum at a bank is never going to look the same as scrum at your studio. Scrum at your studio is not going to look the same as scrum at my organization that I serve. So it is contextual. I think a lot of people miss that. Because sometimes they come from something overly prescriptive, like waterfall, whatever you want to call that project management, and they want just some cookie cutter process. Well, that's going to be pretty wild considering the different environment that you're going into. So was it hard for you going through initially CSM and then ACSM to hear some of the stuff we were talking about? Or were you able to instantly translate that in your brain for your context? I think I was pretty instantly able to translate that 
Um, I also came from prior to working here, I worked at a fintech company that was a pretty they, they, they were a pretty mature scrum organization. I would say, were they doing everything necessarily? I, I even hate using the phrase by the book, you know, know but like, I, what's the part we were, I would say, right, wrong, bad, good. Who yeah. cares? I mean, are you delighting your customers? Are you <laughs> meeting your goals and objectives? Who, you know, right, wrong, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's all about getting better. But they, um, everyone was on the same page. They had been doing it for as long as I think they had been a company, you know? So um, for me, that translation, I already like when, when I got hired at Jackbox, you know, in my head, I was immediately like, okay, this is the product owner. Oh, okay. I'm the, I'm the scrum master. And then learned to say, but how am I a scrum master here? Mm -hmm. You know? So I just kind of ditched some of the things that I knew from my last role, you know, and kind of combine them with new things and say, this is what this studio needs as a scrum master. So when I would sit in like the advanced um, scrum master course and, and be able to just translate in my head, like, what are the things that we need? And I think that that's, you know, one of the most important things with any framework, anything that you learn about is just like, what does this team need? And it even varies from team to team too. You know, like you're going to see a producer. Um, no, I've been a producer on multiple games before, you know, I will understand what that game team needs and adjust, you know, that's part of the job, I think. So being able to learn all of those different things and, and make it less about the guide says this and more about what are we struggling with and what can we do to fix that, you know, or mm-hmm. um, where are we already excelling and what can we hold on to? I think that that's the other important thing that we try to hold on. I said, hold on to twice, but that's the other <laughs> thing that we try to keep in mind, um, you know, is that like, don't throw it all out. Cause that's something you do with your iterations, right? Even if something's broken, broken, in the game that week, right? Well, we'll try to fix that one thing, but we'll keep the rest of the stuff. And we do that with our processes too. So anyway, I think with with the implementing it and learning from what other um, companies have done, even if they're not game developers, you know, and being able to just translate that. I don't think that's been too hard for me, but the translation I feel like has kind of always been happening. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And when we take people back to, you know, the book, or we take people back to the scrum guide, uh, one of the reasons I'm a fan of doing that is I'm a, I'm a big believer in letting people own their own ideas, you know, not renting them from anybody, not even me, you know, just, I'm like, nope, I want you to go read it for yourself so that you understand you know, from a foundational perspective or from an educational perspective, what the the philosophy is, but then try something. And if it's working for you, great. And if it's not working for you, we'll stop it. And maybe you go back to the basic again, or maybe you go back to the basic again until you figure out what works in your context. So there's a lot of uh, people who, you know, I think do some damage when they beat the the buy the book too hard. Um, I try to be kind of middle of the road there. I will go back to the guide if it's pretty egregious. Like if you can see, whoa, you just, it's like the person who was like hitting their thumb with a hammer and, you know, pointing out to them, well, move your thumb. Oh, okay. Now it doesn't hurt anymore. You know? So if you can see the pain they're causing themselves by misusing something, then I, then I kind of toe the line of, well, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the guide and then adapt from there. Yeah. That's a distinct thing that, um, I feel like this year we've made a conscious effort to do, um, think something like, a someone on the team who doesn't feel like a retro is necessary. Right. I feel like that's probably not that uncommon. Why do we do this? You know, and to not point to a guide and say, the guide says we should, 
but get them to understand the reasons why you need to do it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or should, or should care, or look at the fact that like, well, why doesn't it feel useful to you? And what can we do to fix that? It doesn't feel useful. Um, I, I have just like never found success by saying, but the scrum guide says, right. You know, that's, it's not going to get through to someone. I always say it doesn't talk. What do you mean? It says it doesn't talk. That's great. Um, one of my things, if this is helpful for you, because I heard you say should, um, I'm trying really hard not to should on myself. Okay. We could try using could. That's good. We could skip it. And what would that uh, hurt? What would that help? We could do it. And maybe a new idea will come out of it. Or maybe nothing other than, hey, we get to talk to each other for a little bit, right? So I'm trying really hard not to, to shit all over myself. I'm trying to replace ah. that with could so that it opens up choices, right? Because these are these are just choices. So that's great. I love that. <laughs> so um with the other producers also being scrum masters, do you all get together to just knowledge share across the group of producers and tell me a little bit about what that's like? Yeah, so we have production team meetings two times a week. Um, one of them started with the intention of doing sort of like a, a scrum of scrums, you know, make sure we're all getting together. But it kind of just became an, another, uh, just like another team meeting in the week, which to me, I'm just like, I'll meet with our producers literally every day and I'll be happy to just constantly be talking about this stuff and sharing what we're going through. So um, we do try to shift away from just doing status updates, you know, and make sure that we're talking about the challenges that our different teams are encountering. Um, What we learned that was a conscious effort this year of talking more about, um, we just got done with a sprint. And instead of a sprint report just being, how many tasks did you finish? And did you meet your goal? You know, talk about what we learned from that sprint. Or I think the other big thing for us has been, what's the thing we're trying next sprint? Mm -hmm. Um, Really small stuff too. Somebody came up with the idea of, we use Slack. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes feedback on something can get really lost in Slack. And someone was like, well, we just made a team feedback channel. So when somebody posts a piece of art, um, then we have a thread just for feedback on that art. So it never gets lost in conversation because you don't want to shut nice. down the conversation. You know, even a small thing like that. And my someone on, on my team mentioned it to me that they had heard from someone on the other team and wanted to do it. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Everybody's right. talking. This is great. But that type of stuff is um, something that we always try to keep doing is make sure that we're learning from different teams, because when you have these different teams, and especially if, um, you know, uh, you're working with other people, our teams shift a lot every year too. That's an extra challenge with us every year. Our teams are new game teams. So we don't stay with the same teams over and over. Um, but it's really easy to end up in that silo again. And so to make a conscious effort to say, what did I learn that last sprint? What did our team learn? What's a thing I tried and it failed miserably, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. even just share that stuff, not even just the good stuff. And then there's always like the resource sharing, you know, the, every new retro board I make, I'll make sure that I share in case somebody needs an idea for a retro board, you know, just the, the, I feel like there's the easy stuff like that. And then there's the conversation stuff, you know, we do try to cover both things, but yeah, we, as a team talk at least two times a week. That's not to say we're, we're not still talking throughout the week as well, but um, you don't need a meeting just for the purpose of, right. Oh, yeah. that's, we can't have a conversation yeah. outside of that. So you mentioned the, the, the developers themselves turnover once a year and um, are they, is it a stable team for the duration of a year? So that, you know, when we talk about a long lived stable and use air quotes, when I say stable team, that it's at least a year, but then it changes. Did, did I hear that right? So it's um, our production cycle is, is 
really intense. Um, basically, from the moment a game gets greenlit, um, we'll start looking at putting together a team for that game. And then our games are greenlit on a rolling schedule as well. So mm. one game might be greenlit as early as December um, and might get a team put together right away. And then the last game might not green get greenlit until February or March, and then they get a team put together. So it is kind of this rolling thing. So, um, all right, last year I was a producer on two games that was in part that were in Party Pack Seven. Um, this year I was on one, and my team this year is basically a, a mesh, a mush, a combination <laughs> is the word I'm looking for. Uh, uh, my my game team this year is a combination kind of of my two game teams last year, which has been great. I know how to work with them; they know how to work with each other. We just haven't done it all together, and I feel like it made standing up that team game team much faster. Um, but other teams. You know, an artist ends up on a team with uh, an engineer they've never worked with before. So there's a little bit of that kind of storming and learning how to work Storming, together. storming, yep. Yeah. Um, so we go through that kind of almost from scratch every year. At this point, most people at the studio have worked with other the other people at the studio. But every time we grow some more, there's a new addition. You know, there's a new person that we haven't worked with. So um, does that kind of answer it? We kind of Yeah, and because and yeah. the follow-up to that was going to be, is there also an element of, <clears throat> that's how they maintain their technical, <clears throat> excuse me, technical expertise. Yeah. Just given the subject matter and the context. Yeah. So our, our discipline teams stay together and don't change. Right. So throughout the year, outside of game team meetings and stuff, our artists will always be meeting together. You know, they'll meet once a week and they'll do that knowledge sharing. Our engineers are doing that as well. Um, you know, being remote, we have, uh, we use Discord for, for virtual meetings and you'll always see engineers just sitting in a channel together, working, asking each other questions. So they're always doing that kind of constant knowledge sharing. Um, and the same as, you know, we do as a production team as well. But yeah, there is that sort of like reset button hits and you got to learn people again. You, you know your work, but that's also an additional challenge with our games too, is that every one of our games is different. So right. we are kind of starting over with that sometimes too you know sometimes it's a sequel game and that that makes life a little bit easier um but it is it is this reset every year and then once we're done with production we pitch some more games and we start it over and the virtual aspect of what you said because i heard you talk about slack and i heard you mention discord mm -hmm. so when you had to flip to virtual like many of us in the world of work had to do how did that affect not only your scrum adoption, but the work itself, or maybe one in the same, right? Because if we're looking for people to, to work together, but now all of a sudden everybody's not coming into the same studio physically or the same office physically. Yeah. What kind of challenges as a scrum master did you have to address there? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, and I think that as this has continued uh, and we're still working remotely, I've kind of seen like an ebb and flow of uh, moments where we're, where we're, we're struggling a little bit more with things we were doing. Okay. Six months ago, you know, and I think that that's probably common at companies too. Um, Cause everyone is dealing with this in different ways. Right. But one of the things that a lot of our teams did early on was set up just um, group working time together. Oh, nice. Uh, and that kind of, at least, you know, it makes you feel that sense of camaraderie that you don't get when you're not in the same room with each other sometimes. And we do, um, 
because we're spread across different time zones and because as a game development company, we do start work a little bit later than most other companies do. Um, some Sorry. people start earlier. Some, so we, we do asynchronous standups on a lot of our teams. And you'll see that kind of shift depending on where we're at in, in production as well. We'll reach a time where we're like, no, we got to get together every morning. And I know not everyone wants to be up at 10 a.m., but we got to get together every morning and we got to talk. You know, like this, the Slack bot isn't cutting it anymore. Um, so I think that we, <laughs> I think we overall have done a good job of meeting people where they're at, you know, um, and understanding that we have parents that are dealing with, mm -hmm. with now having their kids at home all the time. You know, there's so many different stressors and so many different things people are dealing with. I think that we as a company have pivoted to that, pivoted very well. Um, and tried to not solve everything with a tool. That's important to me. Don't just come up with a tool and make somebody learn something new. They're already stressed out. Um, so working as much as we can with things that we have um, and just giving people more, um, I don't know, more, more easy avenues to just get FaceTime. Because I think that that's something that you feel a lot in a creative environment. I, think. I was going to say, in being in a creative environment, have you had any pushback on camera on, camera off, or that was kind of a non-issue given your context? Yeah, no, it's been mostly a, a non-issue. I think everyone's been pretty happy to just kind of hang out with their cameras on. When we have mm. large studio meetings, um, it's it's interesting to see a lot of people will sit there with their camera off and some people will sit there with their camera on, even if they never say anything during the studio mm. meeting, because they want that presence. And it's totally everybody is just happy to let everybody do what they're comfortable with, what they need from people. You know, I always love when people will just turn their camera on. I don't care what you're doing. Like, please, I just want to see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, we facilitate a virtual meetup and um, our last couple of guests were like, wow, I was really surprised at the, the number of people that were just comfortable turning their camera on and interacting. And I'm like, well, are you telling me that that's not the norm out there? They're like, yeah. nope. A lot of these meetups are user groups. People are just camera off, muted. And you're like, is anybody out there? Yeah. <laughs> anybody listening? You know, and it's so funny at our company too, because our games, I said, are party games. And there's something about, no, I was, um, I was brought on in December of 2019. And so I got to start work in the studio with people hearing just the constant laughter you know, mm. like there's a conference room, somebody's play testing a game and you just hear laughter. And there's something so fun about that. Um, you know, a game's going well when you hear that. Right. And then to switch to remote, I think that was actually one of the bigger shifts for people is when people are trying to be very respectful and keep their microphone off and you're playing a game and you're like, but no one's laughing. <laughs> oh no. Go. And so actually for us, it's been encouraging people to keep their microphone on. I think, uh, has been the bigger struggle than, than camera is like, that's a, that's how we measure success too. In, in yes. our game is, are people having fun? And sometimes you don't know unless the laugh on. metric, are we yes. having fun? And, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left. And in our final couple of minutes, what advice do you have for new scrum masters? Ooh, because you've been one for a while and yeah, you've even achieved the advanced CSM. Any advice for new Scrum Masters? Um, this is something that took me a long time to learn, I think, is you can't solve every problem. You can't. Like, just the same as you don't want to look at someone else on your team and expect them to solve the problem by themselves, right? You want to help them. You want the team to rally around them. Like, you can't do it all yourself, too. And I think sometimes as a Scrum Master, I at least felt like it was my job to do that. It's my job to solve everyone's problems, to unblock every blocker, to look at what hung us up last time and fix it next time. And it's, it's not, it's all of our yeah. jobs. So help them help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging out with me today, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you.